Good morning, church. I'm so happy to be with you this morning. I love the song that we just sang. We talk about glory to God forever. Uh, there's a, a thing called the catechism, and it asks this question. He says, what is the chief end of man? And the answer back to that question for the believer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To give God all the glory that he is well-deserved of, and while doing that, enjoying God for all of eternity. And I just love that song. I feel like I get the most enjoyment of, of, of that right there is I feel like that song, the lyrics just encaptures that moment of like, God, you deserve all the glory and I just get to enjoy you for all of eternity. My name is Braden Rodriguez. I'm our student 1825 pastor here. If you don't know me, I would love to meet you uh, at the end of uh, today. Come find me out in the lobby or up here somewhere and I would love to uh, get the chance to meet you. Um, Kale is out this morning. And so uh, if you're a guest with us, I'm not our, our main guy. Uh, you'll come back next week and get to see him. Uh, he's gonna do a phenomenal job, way better than me. But uh, so come back please next week. Uh, don't judge off of today. So um, if you're a guest, thank you for being here. Uh, if you are here for the first time, second time, or maybe you've just never done this, uh, there are QR codes in front of you on your chair, uh, and that'll bring you to a resource called lpguest.com. Uh, guests, we would love for you to go there. That's where we uh, uh, house a lot of information, and it's geared just for you, and we would love to know that you were here. And so if you're a guest, never done that before, uh, go there, let us know you're here, and let us know how we can best serve you. Uh, that's just to get your name and, hey, what are you interested in here? How can we get you connected meaningfully? And then my favorite part about lpguest.com, going to that guest information card, is at the bottom. If you've never filled that out before, if you click one of the multiple ministries there, one of which that you're passionate about. We'll donate $5 in your honor. No strings attached. Just to say thank you for being here. Uh, we love being able to give. And so, man, please go there, uh, if for anything, just for that moment so that we can help give away to our local mission partners, uh, family, uh, regular attenders, uh, members. Thank you uh, so much again for being here. Special welcome to our Ohio Wesleyan students who are back after a long winter break. They typically all sit over here and we're grateful to have them this morning. Uh, as well uh, for the entire semester. It's great seeing you guys uh, today. Uh, if you've not been with us over the last few weeks, or maybe this is your first time here, we've been in this series in 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we've, we've been looking at this idea that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. That Jesus is the source of enduring hope. This series has been called Not Without Hope. That we as believers have an ev ever-present help right now, that in this moment, as we live, though we struggle, though we toil, though we labor, sometimes in pain, we have hope in Jesus right now. And then as you will see today, and as you will see for the rest of the week, and as you've already seen, the promise of Jesus coming, and there's a hope to come, is always with us as well. So not only do we have hope right now in the present that Jesus provides, we have hope for a future that one day Jesus is going to come back and he will come and gather all of his people. This morning in my quiet time, I was reading out of Psalm uh, 13. I feel like it's a very relatable Psalm. Uh, I'd love to read it for you this morning. This is a Psalm of David. It says in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse one of the Psalms, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul uh, and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light my eyes 
lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You read that first part and David seems very hopeless that he's walking through a very trying time. He wonders where God is, but it doesn't stop there in verse five. He says, but. So this is how I feel, God. I feel as if you're not here with me, but. I have trusted in your steadfast love and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. God, I know I feel this way and yet I have hope. That I know and I can trust your love and your salvation is the reason I can have joy. Even if I don't feel hope right now, I know I can have it because your salvation is here and it is worthy to be rejoiced in. I will sing because of how good you've been to me, how bountiful you've dealt with me. Even though I feel a certain way, God, I know you are good. And God, I know you love me. And this is the reason we have hope. And I think a lot of us can relate to David in those moments, right? God, I don't know where you are. And yet you've been so good. God, I, I, I don't think I can hear you right now. And yet I know I'm saved, that you're coming back for me one day. And this is really what we've looked at over the last two weeks, what we'll look at today and what we'll continue to look at. If you've been along in our drivecast, you've probably heard this idea of hope, hope, hope all the way through. If you look at the book of uh, Acts chapter 17, you kind of see how this church in Thessalonica uh, starts and you see why Paul is having to write a letter of, of hope to them. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul plants this church in Thessalonica, says he's there for three Sabbaths. So he's there for two and a half, three weeks or so. And he's planting this church and everything's kind of going pretty good. as like you would expect on these missionary journeys that Paul is on. It says that uh, some of the Jews believe and then many of the Greeks believe. And then it says these prominent women begin to believe. And so the church is, is growing and flourishing. But all of a sudden, persecution and, and trial breaks out in this church. And we see this moment in Acts chapter 17, verse six. They're looking for Paul. They're looking for these disciples of Jesus who are spreading the gospel and they can't find them. So what they do is they walk into this believer's house. His name is Jason in Acts chapter 17. And they pull Jason out of his home and they bring him in front of everybody. And they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What a beautiful verse. Oh, that we would be a church that when people of the culture see us, that we would walk in and says, those are the people who've been turning the world upside down for the sake of the gospel that we would be recognized by the fruit of sharing the gospel with people. And that's what's happening right now, that this church is growing, it's booming. All these people begin to believe persecution breaks out in a culture, in a city in which it's like not really okay to follow Jesus. And they start pulling people out of their homes. They have to flee and all of these things. And that really picks up uh, the two themes of the book is that Paul is consistently talking about hope and holiness he says, brothers, persevere in this pagan city. I know they don't want you to follow Christ, but persevere, keep going, have hope, live righteously. Chapter three really has this feel. Paul is worried, brothers, sisters, I, I feel like maybe you've abandoned your faith, so I'm sending Timothy to see if you're still doing well. I'm worried that you've lived an unholy life, so I'm sending Timothy to establish you, to make sure you're living righteously. And yet when Timothy gets there, he finds that they're doing A-OK. -okay. That by the power of Jesus, they're walking in faithfulness and they are been given hope 
through Jesus' name. This morning, before we jump into First Thessalonians, uh, we were supposed to be in chapter three today, but Kale only went into one verse in chapter two last week. So we got to pick up some of the slack, all right? So we're going to back up a little bit into chapter two, and then we're going to go a little bit deeper into chapter three. It's okay to laugh at that. He gave me that joke to give to you this morning. So it's okay. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to First Thessalonians, the end of chapter two, beginning of chapter three. I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Father, we love you. We praise you and we give you all glory. God, would we sit under your word today? Would it take deep root in our hearts and would it produce 30, 60, and 100 fold? Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we have not, would you give us? What we are not, would you make us? For the sake of your son, our savior, amen. Love it. Maine point of the text, main point of the sermon today is this. We should be longing for unity, living in holiness, and laboring with hope. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, it starts this way. It says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So what's happening is, is Paul is recounting the moment that they had back when he planted the church. He says, church, I've, I've longed to come to you because I was torn away from you. We had to flee the city in haste. We were only there a couple of weeks. And he's like, I want to be with you, but Satan, the enemy, the tempter, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he's, he's prevented me from making it to you thus far. And he's like, I'm worried about you. I want to see you. And then there at the end, he says, you are my joy and my crown and every Everything that I can boast in one day whenever Jesus comes back, that the fruit of our labor, that you accepted this gospel, as Cale talked about last week, that you've not rejected, but accepted this message into your heart. You took it as what it was, God's word. He says, we have great reason to boast one day when Jesus returns. So that's where he starts. And then in uh, chapter three, verse one, he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by uh, these afflictions. For you yourself know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. And so he says, I was torn away from you. And then at this portion, he says, church, I was real worried that you had thrown away Jesus, that you would have not kept the faith, that you would have began to live unholy lives. He's like, he's like you knew that we were gonna suffer for this. You knew that we were going to uh, be persecuted. We told you that at the beginning, you saw it. And now we're worried as Satan has hindered us that the tempter has tempted you. As we haven't made it, I'm worried that Satan has pulled you away, so we send Timothy. But here's the encouraging report. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, this is verse six, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. 
For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord increase, uh, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all uh, and for all as we do for you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before uh, our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so he essentially says, I've heard great news. Your faith is strong. He says, I pray that it continues to grow. I pray that I get to see you. I pray that your love abounds. And one day when Jesus returns, I pray that we stand before him holy. And you're probably already knowing where this is going, right? Paul consistently in this passage is talking about unity, consistently talking about holiness. And then there's this idea of laboring with hope. So this morning, if you write anything down, one statement right here. We, as Christians, we should be longing for unity. We should be living in holiness and laboring with hope. We should be longing for unity as Christians, to be together with one another. Unity in the body. Two, living in holiness. As the scriptures say, we should be holy for the Lord our God is holy. And then we should be laboring with hope putting in the hard work on this side of eternity, knowing that there is a hope to come and a hope that we get to live with. So for the remainder of our time, essentially I'm just gonna break those three things down. One sentence broken down into three parts, hopefully in the next 15 minutes. All right. First thing, longing for unity. This is something that if you go read the Paul, uh, letters of Paul, that Paul is very passionate about. And it's something that has, has become a deep passion of mine. And I'll tell you why here in a moment, but Paul looks at these brothers and sisters. He says, brothers, I long to be with you, this eclectic bunch of some Jews, many Greeks, and prominent women. It's like the island of misfit toys, right? It like doesn't make sense that they're all there. Like they're kind of like a weird bunch, an eclectic group of people. And Paul says, I long to be with you, kind of as uh, the way that Rudolph and that little elf do in that old claymation movie, right? They're like, oh, we're finally here. Like I long to be here. This is right to be here. And essentially, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, I'm passionate about being with you. I want to be with you. And if you look at this passage over and over again, we could quote how many times he says it. The fact that he's torn away, he's affected deep in heart. He says like 80 times that I long to see you, brothers and sisters. I hope that you long to see me. He says, I pray that I can see you. May God make my way to you. I pray that your love is like my love for you, that you would love each other more. Like Paul is consistently over and over and over and over and over and over and over again talking about unity with this church. Brothers, I just want to see you. Brothers, I just want to be with you. I don't care what social boundaries have been set up to keep us all apart. He's like, my love for you. He's like, I'm essentially anxious to see you. I want to be with you. And we as the church should have this same longing for one another, a longing and a unity that transcends lines. What does that look like? What are the lines that have been drawn by culture so often it is how much money you make, what status do you live in, what neighborhood do you live in, what color are our skin, right? All of these things have been set up, and Paul is essentially looking at them saying the same thing. He's like, some of you are Jew, some of you are Greek, some of you are men, some of you are women. He's like, I don't care, I just want to be with you because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been infused with the very blood of Jesus, 
And he says, I long for this moment with you. This is why unashamedly we've talked about, this is now the third week in a row that we believe so strongly here, in, uh, here at LifePoint in life groups. Because in Acts 2.42, it says the earliest believers said that they were devoted to the scriptures, the apostles' teaching, to prayer, the breaking of bread, and what? Fellowship. And that, that when they devoted themselves to fellowship, this radical kind of idea of being together, it said that awe and wonder and miracles began to happen. It said that they began to sell all of their possessions and started giving radically to one another, and no one had need. And it says, because of all of those things, them devoting themselves to fellowship, the apostles teaching prayer and breaking of bread, it said that people began to see what was happening and day by day, people were getting saved. That they were so devoted to one another that the world saw how they loved one another and it began to change. That people who formerly said crucify him would come to know Jesus in this that they were so devoted to one another. We believe in this here at our church. We call it authentic community. It's one of our core values, right? Our strategies may change is what we say, right? The colors of these walls may change one day. The style of music we sing may change one day. But the reality is, is we will always believe that we are better together, that life groups are important, that authentic community with one another. And more than just like, hey, we're gonna get together and eat pizza and like do a nice little Bible study. But the fact that we can become family is what we believe in. That we can have deep, lasting community with one another that will go on into eternity. That transcends all lines. And maybe you're thinking this, all right? Well, that's the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? It talks about it too, right? There's this verse in the Old Testament. It says two are better than one, essentially. And then he says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. He says two is better than one, but man, you get three together, goodness gracious, how amazing it is. All throughout the uh, themes of the Old Testament, there's this idea that if we come together under the name of the Lord, it's like we're almost unstoppable, you jump back into the New Testament. Paul says, each person has been given a gift to do what? Uplift one another, to build the church. And then he uses this example. He says, each of you are a different piece of the body. Some might be a finger, a hand, a nose, an ear, a foot. And he says, when we all come together and we all began to have community and to serve one another, he says, we get the picture of the whole body. That we're one big organism functioning and moving together that this is not an isolated theme. And maybe you're like, okay, those are nice in theory. Where's the command? Hebrews, do not neglect to meet together, brothers, as is the habit of some. Don't neglect the meeting. It's a command that we have community, longing to be with one another, a unity that looks so different from anything else. If we're disunified, our spiritual life is at stake. What do I mean by that? I think there's two meanings of disunity that we could talk about here. First being like what you would normally think, right? Having conflict with a brother or sister in the church, right? We won't be marked by the absence of conflict, but how we deal with it. That's how our pastor Kale talks about it, right? We'll have conflict with one another. That shouldn't be the thing that marks us though, but how do we resolve that, right? So if we're living in conflict, that's living in disunity. The second kind is this, is if we just choose to not be with one another. Right, that if we just say, hey, you know, I'm good. I'm just an introvert. You know, I don't need to be in a life group. I don't need community. I don't need family. It's fallacy. It's a lie of the enemy. My head pastor back in Mississippi used to say it this way. The enemy tries to isolate, to assassinate. That as soon as you get on an island and you begin to live by yourself, when the enemy comes, almost 100% of the time, you will fail without community. 
Your spiritual life is at stake when living in disunity. If you fight alone, you will fail. If I fight alone, I will fail. If we do not have love for our brothers and sisters, we live in a way that Jesus has said is wrong. Jesus says that everyone else will know that you are my people, my disciples, by the way in which you love one another. Not in the way in which you love the outside world. No, they'll know that you follow me because you have a different kind of love for your brother and your sister. If you have something wrong with your brother or sister, it will hinder the way in which you worship God and relate to the church. That's what's at stake here when we talk about a unity that's different. It's almost our success and our failure. I wanna give you two stories personal um, about uh, this, this idea of a radical kind of unity and community. My wife and I are transplants here and you've heard me talk about this many times. We've lived here um, almost 20 months, I think. So almost two years now. And we have been on the receiving end of a loving church. That we've been on the receiving end of authentic community. That we have no blood relatives that live in the state of Ohio. And I think the nearest ones live like six hours away. And that's Hannah's sister. And she doesn't get to make it up here much. You know what I mean? So uh, our nearest blood relatives are at least six to 12 hours away. We only knew two people in the entire state of Ohio uh, when we moved here and they live almost an hour away. And so we really did get to start fresh. And yet when we got here, we experienced a kind of love in which I can only explain uh, as like the way that Acts explains it. That people began to love us and give us community and treat us as family more than just, oh, that's our new youth pastor, like bringing us in, making us a part of their lives that when my daughters have their second birthday back in December, that one of our worship pastors and his wife would come in a full suit and ball gown because it was a tea party, that they would love my family that well, that women at our church, you know, usually what happens is a pastor goes to a church and then he has to make friends for his wife. No, what happened was, was when we got here, women in the church began to pull my wife in and say, hey, look, you've got kids, we've got kids. How about you just come hang out with us all day and like begin to rope her in and she made her own friends. And she was very proud to tell me that. She's like, hey, I have friends. And I was like, that's amazing. She's like, we're hanging out with my friends tonight. And I'm like, praise God, I love it. Like, let's go. So many amazing moments that we've had an authentic community here. And the only way I can describe it is New Testament kind of love and community and unity. That's a great example of unity. And I pray and hope that that is what you experience here. And I pray and hope that you labor towards that. Let me give you the opposite end of the spectrum. When I was first starting in ministry, I was uh, early college, uh, 18, 19 years old. And, um, I was in church one Sunday, uh, not been on staff very long, and there was this young man, I can't remember if he was in high school or college or what exactly the time was. He was about a year younger than me, and I remember him. He was one of the most kind and loving and sincere guys uh, that I've ever met, really, just so genuine, and yet he also struggled with the Sunday morning banter, you know what I mean? Like, you know, typically it's like, oh, how's the weather? Like, just, you know, like nice, you know, the pleasantries. He just struggled in that area. And one morning I saw him coming into the church and I was from afar, I saw him, he didn't see me. And I looked at him and wanting to avoid the awkward struggle of having a Sunday morning conversation, I looked at him and I turned the opposite direction, I walked away. 
And almost instantaneously, the Holy Spirit hit me deep in my heart. And what I felt God spoke to me in the depths of my soul was, how dare you? Just because he was awkward to talk to on a Sunday morning, that's your brother in Christ. How dare you? That deeply affected me. And I felt so wrong and had to repent and ask the Lord for forgiveness. And I made it a mission to never do that ever again. That anytime I feel that way, that it would change. That I would push through it anyway. Because sometimes having community and unity is uh, getting over some of my own preferences and getting over some of myself and not having to have, wanting to have an awkward conversation, like break past that. So maybe you're saying like, all right, I experience unity in the same way that you feel like you do here. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum as I was at 18 and 19 years old, not willing to strive for. Or maybe you're somewhere in between what I challenge you this morning. And I think what Paul would challenge you in all of his letters is brothers, would you live unified? Sisters, would you love one another? Doesn't matter how awkward it is to talk on a Sunday morning. Doesn't matter what they've done for you, actually. Maybe they've done nothing. Maybe they didn't bring you in. Maybe they avoided you on a Sunday morning. Love anyway. Push for it. Strive for it. It's an amazing blessing, I promise. And you will not be disappointed. And we have a few moments left. In the next 10 minutes, we'll try to get, to, get through the next two things. Second is living in holiness. So we should be longing for unity and living in holiness, ad nauseum, Paul talks about their faith and it being established, it being exhorted, it being standing firm, that they would love, that they would do good. And then at the very end of it all, he says that we would be established in blamelessness in holiness. And the reality is, is that's a very hard call. The scriptures say, be holy for God is holy. And what's hard about that call is just as this church is in a pagan city and called to be holy, we live in a nation and a time and a culture in which that doesn't really want us to be holy. Can anyone relate? That the, the, the social pressures of the culture makes you wanna like not live a holy life or not say holy things or not do righteous, good, godly things or just to be quiet and silent. It's cute that you believe in Jesus, but just keep it to yourself, right? That's the kind of, culture that they were in. And this is the same culture I feel like that we're in, right? You can believe in Jesus. That's cute, but just shut your mouth, right? I know you're trying to live a righteous life and a holy life in which a holy God has set you apart for, and yet you don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't have premarital sex. What fun do you have? That was a real conversation I had in high school, by the way. A girl sat across from the lunch table and asked me all of those questions. And I was like, uh, follow Jesus? Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you here right now. Like, you know, and I'm sitting having this conversation and then I fast forward a couple of years and go to college and I'm in this state-sponsored school in which you're supposed to have like freedom of religion and like tolerance and all the nice, like cool words. And yet when I'm in my speech class, I wanted to give a pseudo-Christian topic, not even the gospel, just a similarly biblically related topic. And the teacher was like, no, can't do that seems like an infringement on my uh, freedom of speech and religion. But however, I didn't get into the, the niceties and all the pleasantries with that lady. I just said, okay, thanks. And I left it alone. And yet I was called to live a life that was more than just being silent, to share my faith. 
And yet the culture at every turn and every corner said, don't. And maybe some of us feel and relate to that. And I hope what you're not hearing is this, is that you have to live this like uh, unrealistic life of like, I can never sin. I don't think God has called us to live sinless, but just to sin less. The only one who is sinless is Jesus. And he died in our place for us. And yet at the same time, God has called us to sin less, to live in sanctification, to walk in holiness. And I'm, I'm here to say like, it's not just not smoking and drinking and having premarital sex that makes you holy. And right, like, some, like nowhere in the Bible does it say don't smoke tobacco, right? Like I'm not judging anyone right on those, on those grounds. But what I think it does say is that there's a holy God who loved us so much in which he died for us. And he's called us to live a life that looks radically different that he's called us to live a life in pursuit of his name, that he's called us to lay aside every sin and weight and chain and to run deeply after him, a life that says, you know what, be quiet, right? That's what the culture says. No, you speak loud, be bold and courageous for the sake of the gospel. And then he says this, he says, I've asked you to do all of those things and I will equip you to do all of those things. There's a scripture that says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the free gift of God. It is the very, the very free gift of God's grace, mercy, and love in which we can live this life that he's called us to. And then he says, all right, grace is a free gift by faith. He then says that faith is a gift apportioned out to every, every person right? That like, I will give you the faith to believe. I will give you the grace and, and sustenance to live this life I've called you to. Why? Because as we just said, the sinless son of God died in our place to do it. That he would shed his blood upon us, right? On the cross and say, I'll cover you. Just believe. Walk in deep relationship with me. His blood, his love, still reaching out, covering us, calling us to live a different kind of life. The gospel is good news. The good news is, is that though we couldn't do it on our own, he did it in our place. Though we might struggle, he can make us strong. Though weak, he can move in us in mighty ways. The gospel is this, is that Jesus Christ, the son of God, was in eternity, made everything, holds all things together, said, you know what, I'll step out of it, live uh, 33 years, born of a virgin as a child, as a baby, would live 33 years fulfilling all of the law and the prophets, would be crucified on a cross, would go to the grave, and then rise three days later with death in hand and says, I have victory over it, and now you can have life in me. Sin, it's done. I've covered you. It's over. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and you know what he's doing there at the right hand? It says that he is intermediating on our behalf, that he can co-suffer co with us. The, the scripture says, sympathize with us, that he knows everything we've gone through, everything we go through, everything we will go through, and he says, Father, they are ours. For those who believe, they are our children. They are covered with the blood. And then it says, one day he's coming back. That we have reason to hope now and we have reason to hope for the future, which brings me to the last point, that we labor with hope. That we labor here on this side of eternity 
in hope. We get this idea of laboring through all of the book of 1 Thessalonians, but definitely at the point where he says, hey, I told you I was going to be persecuted. I was persecuted. You're probably receiving persecution. Like we told you, and yet what? The Lord Jesus is coming. Maybe some of you right now feel as if you're, you're laboring, that you're walking a very hard season of life. I'm here to tell you, like, have hope. Maybe you've been praying for that person. They've not come to know Jesus yet. Have hope. Maybe that person in your family is sick. Have hope. Maybe you're struggling in your job. You don't want to be at your job. It's laborious. It's hard. Have hope. Kale talks about it this way. He says, Christian life isn't a lazy river ride. But Paul would say, it's a race. It's a fight. It's not always easy, but yet hope is near. Jesus promises nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing will take you out of the hand of the Father. There was a point uh, back in 2020, and many of us probably can relate, especially in the year of 2020. I had just come off a long fast or was coming off a long fast and began to, to get near to this point of what I would say is the closest I've ever been to depression. Maybe some of you uh, live that life consistently. I, I typically don't, but I was very um, close to that point. Um, and I was living in a very hard season. Um, I began to watch brothers and sisters in which surrounded me who were living righteously that I would have taken to, to be a part of any church staff anywhere, began to live in outright sinfulness against God. I had some people in our church that be, began to stir up some conflict and some things like that. And we were having to walk through some conflict and some hard stuff. And I was just, we were on Zoom and like all of this stuff. And I was just living a very hard time. My wife was at work like eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I sat in the back room of our house in our office and just worked hard all day, eight hours, like barely any contact with anybody. And I just got to this very, really dark place because of all of these circumstances. And honestly, I was just ready to quit. I was like, church shouldn't meant to be lived online. I'm tired of doing all of these Zoom things. I'm tired of preaching to a camera. I'm tired of my wife being gone 10 hours a day. I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of the conflict. I'm tired of these people who I've poured my life into walk away from the, I'm done. And yet, God showed himself so very near. When we were ready to give up and throw our hands up, we had brothers and sisters gather around us and say, what's wrong? Because we know something is that our pastors would reach out to us and say, hey, look, man, I, I don't know what's going on, but we, we're gonna help get you healed. We're gonna get you to the right place. That I began to go to counseling to, to a very godly man who, who began to, to lead me in a way in which I had never been led before. That I had a safe place to begin to vent all of these frustrations and all of these pains and all of this labor that I had been going through. That I entered into conflict resolution with these other believers and Jesus step after step after step. After I was ready to throw it all away, Jesus says, no, I'm here. Just have hope. I'm here. I'm walking with you. Hang on. Hang on hang on, hang on. And in, I don't know how many months, three or four months, felt as if we grew so fast and so radically and the Lord had just brought us through such a healing time. And, and then shortly thereafter, we get the call to come here. I was ready to give it all up. And yet Jesus in hope, helping me persevere on, laboring in the, the hard times with hope, we ended up in a place in which we've never felt community as we felt community today. 
never felt Jesus in the way we felt Jesus as we do here. The Lord has grown us so much. Church, labor on with hope. Know that he is with you right now. Maybe hard to see, but just remember what David says, right? But I know your love. You're so good. Remember, and then the hope again, the part of the gospel that I love the most is one day he's coming back for his kids. It says he'll come and from all the four corners of the earth, from the east to the west, he's coming to get his children and then they will get to sit at the marriage supper of the lamb where all that labor, all that pain, all those tears, it says he starts to wipe away every tear from their eye. There's no more pain. There's no more toil like we had here on this side of eternity and we get to just sit and relax and rest and be in him. I have great hope for that. I invite us to bow, bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just pray for a few moments. I wanna to talk to the believer first. Believers in the room, um, I talked a lot towards us today. And that's a very challenging message. It's, it's, it's a lot of like, hey, I gotta correct some things in my life. Um, it says the scripture, good for correction and reproof, the training of the man and the woman to complete us in every good work. And so I know it's challenging, but would you take some of those challenges this morning? Would you bring them to a holy God and say, teach me, show me where I fall in some of these areas. And would you give me the grace and the faith to live in them? If it's unity, living in holiness, maybe I'm walking through a hard time laboring. Maybe I'm losing hope. God, would you help me? Maybe you would say though, I don't know Jesus in a real way. This is my first time I've ever even heard the gospel that Jesus came and died for me on a cross. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Or maybe you've heard it a million times and yet it's never sank in uh, as it has today that, that I can know a Jesus that can cover me of all of my sins and then and, like give me grace and mercy and love in which I don't deserve. And maybe you're saying like, never had it, but I want it. I want a Jesus to give me hope. I want the Jesus who says he loves me. Nothing will separate him from, or me from him, that I'll be in the hand of the Father. I wanna experience that for the rest of my days, that he's coming back and I'll get to be his child and sit at his table. What? I want that. It says in the scriptures, today is the day of salvation. If you believe that Jesus came, died on the cross and rose again for your sins and you confess that he is your Lord, meaning this, if you confess Jesus, I'll give it all for you. I'll follow you for the rest of my days. It says you will be saved. I encourage you this morning, you don't have to pray exactly this, but something along these lines. It's no magic words for me. It's the heart change, the heart posture before a holy God. Would you say something along the lines of, Father, I know I've not lived in righteousness. I know I've ran away from you. I've bent to the culture. And yet, Father, I wanna know that love and that hope today. I believe your son died on the cross for my salvation, that he rose again so that I might live. Father, would you save me today? Would you give me your hope today? God, we just ask that you would move in us today. Would you move through us today? Would you just show us more of your grace and your mercy? Let this not be a checklist kind of sermon where it's like, all right, I did this, this, and this. No, but Father, let it be true, transforming lives today.
God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory and honor for you're worthy. In Jesus' name.